0: Or simply download the CCCIV app. You'll find the direct link to the app at www.ccciv.org forward slash get the app. Or when you text CCCIV APP to 77977.
1: So he's the God of the impossible because of resurrection. He raises the dead. He brings life out of death, but also creation. He brings something out of nothing. Look at verse 17 again. He gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's how creation started. The Big Bang Theory doesn't contradict creation. (laughs) You know, They're just saying a big noise took place at creation. They're saying that something came out of nothing. Really, when you peel away everything and you look at it, and it's absolutely right, because the very first phrase in the Bible... It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Hebrew word for create there, whenever it's used of God, it's the Hebrew word bar, it means he creates out of nothing. He creates out of nothing. He is able to call those things that don't exist into existence. He's the God of the impossible. That's why Genesis 1 is so important. And that's why God makes it clear right off the beginning, my word has the power. What I declare from the beginning to the end, that's what's going to happen. No one can stop it. I declare it. And so in Genesis 1, we see in the beginning when God created, it says that he spoke. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And over and over again, God spoke and it was. God spoke and it was. God spoke and it was. And listen to me, if you don't believe that, you may as well throw the rest of the Bible away. I don't know why you read it if you doubt what happened in Genesis chapter 1. You may as well throw it away because right away you're dismantling the authority of God's Word. I believe it. So God does call those things into existence which weren't. You and I can't do that. When we create something, we need to get wood, we need to get plastic, we need to get something. Wherever we create anything, it's out of something that's already existing. But God just speaks. And he calls those things that weren't into existence. Abraham knows that. Procreation. We see a miracle child. In verses 18 to 19, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. Okay? He had been told, he had been promised by God. Look at verse 19. did not weaken his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's, Sarah's womb. So I want you to see that, that a cadaver down at the mortuary had as much a chance of getting his wife pregnant as Abraham did because Abraham was 100 years old and he was impotent at the time, but God made him a promise and he believed that God can do the impossible. And he did. And so he brings his faith into the table here and says, God, if you said it, I believe it. Now, think about the facts that Abraham had to dismiss. He was going to be 100 years old. When she got pregnant, she was going to be 90. Says that Sarah was barren. That's a fact. Her womb was barren. All their marriage, barren. Now she's going to approach 90. That's a fact. She's too old. She's got double trouble. She's not just barren in her womb, but she's way beyond child rearing. And so the facts are the facts. And that's why it says Abraham hoped against hope. Because when you and I hope in something, we have to see something to hope in. A human hope is very different than a hope that arises out of faith. Right? Because when we hope in God, we believe that God can do the impossible. doesn't matter what it looks like in our circumstances today. That's not the issue. Because we serve the God of the impossible. So when Abraham is promised this, he believes that God can call things into existence if he wants out of nothing. He believes that he could resurrect the dead. He believes that I'm going to be 100 years old when this child comes, right? my wife's going to be 90, but if God said it, I'm going to ignore the facts and I'm going to trust in God's Word because God said it. And that's where our faith is really challenged. In hope, he believed against hope. And every hope and impossible situation only provides the soil for God to do the impossible. You know, there's some things we attribute to God that I don't believe God did. I think we should give glory to God for everything. And and I hear people say, well, I prayed for this, and then I find out it was their own energy, their own power, their own resources that made it happen. Now, granted, the resources came from God. You should give Him glory for that. But what about the impossible? When's the last time you were in an impossible situation and you doubted God? You didn't believe He could come through because it was too big. You didn't see anything to hope in. We need to hope against all hope like Abraham And trust. If God told you, you listen. Look at the source of Abraham's faith. It is the promise of God. Okay, he was told this. He chose to believe God's promise in verses twenty to twenty-one. Look at this. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Do you see what he's saying there? I want you to see that. That he was fully convinced, right? Look at verse 20 again. That there was no unbelief made in him. Waiver concerning the promise of God. There was no unbelief in him. As wild as the promise sounded, there was not one stitch of unbelief in Abraham at that time. So, if you look at how Abraham responded to the promise of God, in verse 20, we see no unbelief made him waver. In verse 20, towards the end of that verse, it says he grew strong in his faith. He didn't grow weaker in his faith. He grew stronger in his faith. And then in verse 21, he was fully convinced that God was able. Again, Abraham exercised faith in God over the facts of their circumstances. And I have to say this, I believe that Abraham and Sarah were able to experience the miracle working power of God because they ignored the facts and listened to God over what the facts were. When you face an impossible situation, do you focus on the facts of the circumstances or do you focus on the facts about God? We limit God way too much. God's power is supernatural. It means He defies the natural. The natural is that Sarah couldn't have a baby. The natural is that Abraham was old. He was impotent. That was the natural, but God does the supernatural, meaning that He defies the natural to accomplish His plans and purposes. Always, always. Look at your own life. Look at your own life. When we think about being born again, what does that mean? That means we've been given a new heart. We've been given a new heart by God simply because of what we believe. That is an impossible situation. There was no way that any man can do it. No machine can do it. No technology could do it. Nothing could give a person a new heart. And yet Jesus says you have to be born again see the kingdom of heaven. And we were born again. Our eyes were open. How did that happen? That was an impossible situation. And yet God did it. We experienced a supernatural birth too. No different than Isaac came into this world. Ours was just as supernatural. The result of Abraham's faith is justification apart from human works. And that's what he says in verse 22. So the object of his faith is the God of the impossible. The God who can do the impossible. The source of Abraham's faith is the promise of God. He believed he had something to hang his hat on. And the result of Abraham's faith is justification Apart from human works in verse 22, you need to see that again. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, let me just say this, and please listen to me on this. That word for counted, Chris referred to it last week, Pastor Chris, logizomai. It's an accounting term meaning credited to your account. But here's the amazing thing about this word it's only used 40 times in the New Testament, quite frequently, but 11 of those 40 times are in one chapter alone. It is seen in chapter 4. It is seen in verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, verse 22, verse 23, verse 24. You don't think the Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention on something? That word in one chapter alone to be used 11 times, God wants you to understand what that means. It means that he credits the account. It is that accounting term. Righteousness was credited to Abraham. Imagine Abraham having a savings account, and then all of a sudden he wakes up one day, and there's a million dollars deposited in there. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He simply believed it was there in the account. And the way righteousness is credited to any human being, any man, As unrighteous as we can be, as sinful as we can be, as depraved as we can be, the only way to have God's righteousness is if He gives it. You can't take it. You can't earn it. And we certainly don't deserve it. There's no way unless God credits the account. And this whole chapter 4 is saying, yeah, Abraham was justified. He was made right before God. But it was because he believed It was because he had faith in God, not of his works, not what the Jews were saying, that I'm right before No, no, only God can credit. So let me just say, when the COVID-19 hit, right? COVID-19 hits, economy goes into a tailspin, shuts down. The government knew they needed to do something to stimulate the economy. So what did they do? They gave every person $1,200, Right? And they gave my wife and I $1,200, and we just woke up one morning and it was there in the account. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Do it again, government. You know, give it to orphans or something, you know. But isn't that amazing? We didn't ask for it, we didn't do anything to deserve it. They just said that they were going to give each person $1,200. And there it was in the account, it was credited. That's what that word means. That word means it was credited to your account. No different than when you woke up one morning and all of a sudden you found 1200 extra dollars in your savings account or your checking account, whatever, the government deposited that. God deposits righteousness into our account and all we have to do is believe. That's what he's getting at here. How can somebody be justified? How can they be made righteous before God? The third thing I want to bring up this morning as he transitions i want you to follow this flow in chapter 4 as he began with verse 13 setting up that the promises of god can only be obtained through faith he then moves to a living illustration of abraham he says what does that look like let me show you what that looks like he says i'm going to use the father of our faith of all people to show to you what this looks like how a person becomes right before god god makes the promise And then Abraham believed, and because Abraham believed it was credited to his account, that he was made righteous by God, God imputed that. And so now the third thing, he's going to bring it to a crescendo here. God's promise to Christians is this, justification by faith. Look at verses 23. It says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now I'm going to move through this part fast, so you have to follow me for just a moment. Notice the object of the Christian's faith. The object of the Christian's faith is the same thing as Abraham, the God of the impossible. In verse 24 towards the end there, it talks about Him who raised Him from the dead that the same God who raised all these other people in the Bible from the dead is the same one that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And Jesus' death was real. And the way I know it was real was because of the witnesses. He didn't just fall unconscious. They put a spear in his side, blood and water comes out, proving that he was dead, So the death was real. He's put into a tomb and there was a guard, a Roman guard that was put at the tomb, which meant that there were four Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb. And if they allowed anything to happen, if they allowed the body to be stolen, they could lose their life. So they were taking it serious. But Jesus got up on the third day and he walked out, walked out of the tomb. Because God does the impossible. Our faith is fixed on the God who does the impossible. If God can raise the dead, why don't you believe? The source of the Christian's faith is God's promise again. It's God's promise to atone for our sin. Look at verse 25. He was delivered up for our trespasses. If you want to know why Jesus died, He died for our trespasses. That every transgression, every sin that we committed against a holy God, that's why He died. And the term delivered up there was a term that was used in their justice system that meant to hand somebody over to fulfill the punishment of the sentence that was imposed. So when the Father delivered up the Son, that was our sentence. That was our punishment that Jesus stepped in and took on our behalf. The Father delivered Him up. Jesus laid His life down willingly. He made that clear in the Scriptures. So that just highlights even the love of God, the love of Christ even more. Now, the source of the Christian's faith being God's promise to atone for our sin, you have to buy that. You have to believe that there's nothing you can do to receive that. You've got to be like Abraham. It's got to be credited into your account. That's why when it comes into the Christian portion, verse 25, it says it wasn't just for Him only to be counted, but for us to be counted too of all unrighteousness. And here's the result. of the Christian's faith. Justification apart from human works. Justification apart from human works. Just like Abraham. Verse 22, he was justified apart from human works for the Christian, same way. That's why he uses him as an illustration highlighting this point. God's promise is for us and the resurrection is the proof. Do you realize that if there was no resurrection, we're here for nothing? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 to 19 says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Then those also have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died in Christ, grandma, mom, aunts, uncles, they have perished. There is no eternal life. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we're the most pitied people. People can't say that, man, the Christian life's the best life, even if it was not true. We're the most pitied people because we believed in a lie. My hope is not in this world alone. If that's what I have to say about it, what's going to bring me through the suffering? Now, here's what I want to move to. Abraham's faith, here. He shows us what genuine faith really is, all right? Because people ask this question, what does faith look like? Some believe it's ascribing to a certain set of doctrinal truths. Others say it's participating in communion. It's being baptized. Others think that it's something that can be stirred up in a way that can get God to do what you want Him to do. But we get a good picture of what faith really is. Even though it's not a full biblical definition, we still get a good picture of what faith really is by seeing the life of Abraham. Number one, faith is distinct from the law. You have to understand that. Faith is distinct from the law. The law is something you do, commands to keep. It's a work that you do on your own. It's not a means of salvation. It is a result of salvation. Faith is an attitude. Faith is a willingness to receive what God has given. John Calvin likens faith to open hands. So when we're talking about faith, it's God giving us a gift, us extending our arms out and opening up our hands to receive it. That's what faith is. It's not trying to put God in debt because we're going to work for it and he really owes me that. No, it's none of that. God accepts us not because of what we do, but because of the fact that we have humbled ourselves before Him and received from Him the gift of salvation. That's what faith is. Doing God's will, living by His commands, are necessary. They're the result of our faith, but it's never to replace it as the center of our relationship with God. Romans 117, the righteous shall live by faith the word of god is important in understanding this but our faith is central to our relationship with god multitudes of people say i believe in god you hear it all the time i believe in god well that's not what the bible says in fact you're not just supposed to believe in god in verse 3 it says that abraham believed god But he's also the same man in verse 5, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Saving faith is not believing God is there or believing in God. It is believing that God can justify the ungodly by the pathway of grace. And that separates everybody. That's why there's so many people in this world that miss the boat. Thousands of religions, and they're all works-oriented. It's something I do to get right with whatever deity is out there. We live in a world of self-achievement where diplomas mean something, awards mean something, bumper stickers mean something in this world. And so for us to face the fact that there's nothing we can do to gain salvation outside of placing our faith and trust in Christ, that's hard for some people because they want to bring their self-achievement into this world too. Secondly, Faith has power only because of the one we place our faith in, only because of the one we place our faith in. In the 1980 Olympics, it was the U.S. hockey team that made the headlines because they beat the Soviet Union. Soviet Union was supposed to win by a long shot, and the U.S. had won it and they said it was the miracle. They call it the miracle on ice, but Al Michaels made this statement, do you believe in miracles? And it became the most repeated statements in sports history. Do you believe in miracles? And you hear that all the time. I believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. No, the Bible never tells us to believe in miracles. It tells us to believe in the God who performs miracles. We are to believe in the God who performs miracles. Abraham believed in the God who can raise the dead and speak things into existence. These truths had specific application for Abraham in his life because he needed something spoken into existence and he needed even the dead to be raised or life given to the dead. Now the last thing I want to say about faith, it's based on God's Word, not the evidence of our senses. You need to understand that real faith is based on God's Word and not the evidence of our senses. And this is important because later on in Abraham's life, even though he's given the son of promise and God pulls off a miracle, God tells him to go sacrifice Isaac. This is the son of promise. Didn't make sense to him. How could that make sense? Wait a minute, God. This is the son I was waiting for. This is where the descendants are going to come through. This is where the offspring is going to come through. How can this be? But yet Abraham believed God's word over what he was trying to reason in his mind. But here's what the conclusion he came to. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, Isaac. So that if Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham believed in God's promise that he would raise him from the dead. God stopped him before sacrificing Isaac and provided the sacrifice for him. But there was no wavering in that. Thomas, one of the 12, he wanted to go on his senses, right? They told him Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus told his own disciples that he was going to rise from the dead. And the disciples, you know, they ran in fear and everything else. Well, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appears to him. Thomas shows up later, and they all tell Thomas, hey, Thomas, he's risen. And you know what Thomas says? He doubts. That's why he's called Doubting Thomas. Here's what he says in John 20, 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He wanted his senses. I want to touch it. I want to feel it. I want to, This is what my senses tell me, but real faith trusts in God's Word and goes against the senses. Thanks for joining us today for
0: Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley.